so last week we dealt with the same uh, uh, general passage. You may hear a little bit of repetition this morning. If you don't and you were here the, last week, then don't worry about it. It's good. You need it. If you do, it's always good to hear something a little bit more. So, But we're going to talk about Judges in the book of Judges, chapter 1, verses 22 through 26. The title of what we're looking at is Bringing Freedom into God's House. And uh, we're going to jump into the Word of God here. The house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph scouted out. Well, we'll just say Bethel, and the name of the city was formerly Luz, and the spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, please show us the way into the city, and we will deal kindly with you. And he showed them the way into the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man go and his family go, and the man went to the land of the Hittites and built the city and called its name Luz, and that is its name to this day. Now, I promise you I'm not preaching the same message I preached last week. We just got something more that we're bringing out in this text. Now, in this text, it appears that the Israelites are doing good. God delivered them from Egypt. Uh, they, they finally crossed over into the promised land. Moses had led the Israelites out of Egypt into the wilderness. The first time, they didn't go in. They didn't believe God. They wandered for 40 years. God was faithful to bring them back. Joshua was now the new leader and Joshua was the one that was leading them into the promised land. Under his leadership, the Israelites began to take territory, parcel out the land, and Joshua led them around for 30 years. And now we have in the book of Judges a record of what the people of God did after Moses and now Joshua had passed away. So when the Israelites first came to the edge of the promised land, at the Jordan River, God reminded them that he had given their forefather, Abram, Abraham, the whole area. He told them to cross the Jordan and possess the land, possess the inheritance. He stated that their inheritance included kingdoms already created, cities already built, businesses already flourishing, farms already planted, vineyards already thriving, pastures already filled with herds of animal, houses already constructed. God went on to explain that there were seven nations that they had to dispossess to get their legacy. They were to drive them out by force, those who were illegally occupying Israel's God-given domain. Israel, however, decided that they liked wilderness existence better than battling giants to obtain their inheritance, which is kingdom living. They opted for the easy way rather than the hard way or the risky one that required faith to get all that God had promised. And I, I just want you to know that God, the Bible says, all the promises of God are yes, but in order to possess them, it requires faith, right? We have to come into agreement with it. The, the Bible says all the promises of God are yes, to which we say Amen. That means we come into agreement. So be it. But coming to agreement also means that we walk it out. Hebrews 11:6 6, it says, By faith, uh, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of those, not just who seek Him, but who diligently seek Him. Faith, then, 
is acting on the belief that God exists and that He rewards and that He responds to those who diligently seek Him and His will. Acting on faith is the proof of our profession of faith. See, a lot of people feel like, well, I profess faith, but you don't realize whether or not faith is really there until we see how you behave. How do you act? What do you do in your life? Anybody can uh, uh, repeat a creed. Anybody can repeat a sinner's prayer. But did that sinner's prayer that you repeat have, and, and, and was it a product of faith in your heart? How do we know if it was a product of faith? Because faith will be demonstrated in what you do. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by what I do. God had not saved the Israelites to live their lives in the seclusion of the wilderness. Neither has he saved us to settle for being apathetic. You know what the, apathetic, what the word apathetic means? It means I don't care, right? Neither uh, for us... Uh, he neither he saved us to settle for being apathetic Christians, living isolated lives with a few hours a week of relief from the world in a church service. For some of us, it may be a few hours a year. No, God saved us to be world-transforming instruments for His kingdom. Now, Jumping into our text, the first point we're going to look at, I, I can't get too excited because I feel like my voice is already, I got, too, I got too excited before is what happened. I started yelling and screaming and I can't do that. So I'm just going to kind of try to maintain a cool, calm demeanor, you know, but this is good stuff. First of all, what we need to see is that Bethel, which is, if you don't know what Bethel is, Bethel is the place where God met with Jacob. And he had a vision, and he saw the angels of God ascending and descending on the ladder that he saw in a vision and a dream. And he said, when he woke up, he said, man, God is in this place, right? And he called the place Bethel, which means the house of God and the gate of heaven. It's where heaven invades earth, right? Now, that was way back when Jacob, uh, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was in the land. Now we've had the uh, captivity in Egypt, we've had the, 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 you know, it's been 400 years probably since then, and now we come back to the land, and what we find is that this place, Bethel, is in enemy hands. It's not the people of God that are in possession of Bethel, it is the world that is, is in possession of Bethel. It says in Judges 1.22, the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. See, many of us, we want God to go without us. But we don't realize is that the Lord goes with us. Amen? Not to do our will, but to accomplish His will. And His will was to move the enemy off the land and allow the people to possess what God had rightfully given to them. As we learned from previous teachings, Bethel is the place where God appeared to Jacob, and it's where God uh, uh, called Jacob, uh, had Jacob call this place the house of God and the gates of heaven. This place that Jacob called Bethel was in the land of Canaan. The land was the inheritance that God had promised Abram, Jacob's grandfather. And what's important for us to grasp today is that while God revealed it to Jacob as the house of God, the gate of heaven, 
this place called Bethel, this place known as the house of God, was presently under Canaanite rule, under Canaanite dominion. And it's this place that the house of Joseph was now commissioned to go and liberate. That brings us to point number two, fighting for Bethel. Judges 1, 22-23, The house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph scouted out Bethel. Now the name of the city was formerly Luz. Now what you may not realize is that the house of Joseph was comprised of two tribes. They were the two sons of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim. What had happened was Joseph was Jacob's son, but since jo Jacob was robbed of Joseph when they wrongfully uh, uh, came back to him and said that he had been killed by a lion, whenever Jacob once again met up with Joseph, uh, jo Jacob said, your two sons, they're going to be included in my inheritance. So it's not that Joseph is not important, it's that Jacob took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, to be part of his inheritance. So when we're talking about the house of Joseph, we're not just talking about Joseph, we're talking about his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. In Genesis 41, 51 through 52, Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. Why is his name Manasseh? It actually gives you what the name means. God has made me forget all my hardship, and all my father's house. See, what happened is Joseph had been taken to Egypt. He'd been a slave in Potiphar's house. He'd been a, a slave and a captive in a dungeon. And then through a miraculous um, empowerment of God, who equipped him to be able to uh, 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 decodify dreams, to be able to translate dreams that had been given to Pharaoh, God raised him up from the lowest position in Egypt to one of the highest positions in the land. And now Joseph, when he has a child, because Pharaoh gave him a wife, and, and now his wife had given him a son, and he said, God has been so good, he basically helped me to forget all my past. The name of the second son he had was called Ephraim. And he says in verse 52, here's what Ephraim means. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So not only has God made me forget all the bad stuff that happened to me, but he's also made me fruitful in this place that the enemy meant for my bad. God turned it around and not just did not just brought me back to even, but God turned it around and made me abundant in the land that the enemy wanted to bring me down into. In Genesis 48, the Bible says in verse 17 through 20, and this is kind of where we're talking about uh, uh, where, where uh, uh, Jake, J, uh, Jacob takes Joseph's two sons as his own. It says in verse uh, 20, uh, let's start in verse nine, uh, verse 18. Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. Let me tell you what. Let me just go back to verse 17. Because I think there's something in there we need. When Joseph saw that his father laid his hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. So let me give you the background. What happened? Uh, Jacob is getting old. Uh, he wants to bless 
his children, Joseph's children. And so in, in the Hebrew culture, the right hand was called the right hand of power. If you're left-handed, don't take it the wrong way. This is just that culture at that particular time. So the left, the right hand was always considered the hand of blessing, all right, the, the one that had the greater blessing. And so what Jake, Joseph did, because his father was going blind, is he, the, the older son would always get the greater blessing. So he positioned the older son in front of Jacob's right hand, which is Manasseh, and he positioned the younger son in front of uh, Jacob's left hand, which is Ephraim, assuming that Jacob was going to do what everybody would normally do and just reach out and lay hands on him. But what Jacob did, now remember, Jacob's not seeing good. Jacob goes, whoop, and he blesses Ephraim, the younger son, over Manasseh, the older son. And in verse 18, Joseph said, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring, offspring shall become a multitude of nations. And so he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, uh, will pronounce blessings saying God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh and this is what's important he put Ephraim before or above Manasseh and he said what does that have to do with us well that's a great question let me see if I can answer it thank you for asking that question by the way by the way did you notice that Ephraim was to be greater than his older brother Manasseh Manasseh meaning God has made me to forget Ephraim, again, meaning fruitful. If we were to take this as a type of the Christian life, I believe, and what I've done, and we might all come to the same place, we might say that Manasseh could represent salvation, and Ephraim represents the abundant life that Jesus promised us. See, God doesn't want you to get out of, just simply to get out of Egypt. God wants to bring you into the promised land. Right? So, it's wonderful to get out of Egypt. We will never minimize the importance of that. But one of the things that we're seeing in this text that I think is relevant for us is that oftentimes we stop there. Oh, it's just good. I'm so glad for what God has done with me. If God never does anything more in my life, I'm the happiest person. And I'm not saying that that's not good. That is a good thing. But what I'm here to tell you is that God wants more for you than that. He's not, it's not just, hey, I, I get you out of captivity. You're no longer a slave to sin. That's wonderful. But now it's like, but I have a lot for you to do. I have a lot in store for you. And if you can just see my purpose and my plan for your life and begin to cooperate and to partner with me because I don't just do it without you, I do it with you. But if you don't believe me and trust me, it's going to be hard for you to experience all that I have planned for you. Thank you, Paul. I'm always glad that one person is with me. <laughs> And it's always on this side. I don't know what it is. Are you all with me too? Yeah. Amen. 
it's really not important that you're with me. What's important is that you're with the Word, all right? But it helps me to know that you're listening. The prophetic word to us, I believe, is that the abundant life should be far more evident than the forgetting. It seems today we've majored on the reverse. We get people saved, which is a good thing, but we don't lead them into the abundant life. Jesus said, the thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life, period, end. No? But that's how we live. But it's not the Word of God. It's not finished. The Word of God has more. But I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. An overcoming, victorious, prosperous Christian life. Now, don't take that word prosperous and run with it and go into error, but don't eliminate it. God wants you to prosper. How many of y'all want to prosper physically? I want to prosper physically. I want to become all that God intended for me to be physically so I can carry out the will of God in my life and through my life. So I can be there for my family and my children and my great-grandchildren. But I also want to prosper financially. Now, nowhere are we saying that God is promising you that you're going to be a multimillionaire or a multi-billionaire. Now, it doesn't mean he can't do it, and I'm not saying he won't do it. We're just not going into excess and promising everybody that that's what's going to happen in your life. But God did promise to prosper us financially. Give and it shall be given unto you. In fact, that's what I was going to teach on in our, in our uh, 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 offering teaching that I was going to do here this morning is that God does give wealth. But you can use wealth to, uh, to uh, increase the enemy's purposes in the earth or you can use wealth to increase God's purposes in the earth. Wealth provides the means oftentimes to create, uh, uh, to, to, to have and create influence. What do you do when God gives you wealth? If you just uh, take care of yourself, if you just hoard, if you just, you know, you're just going to continue the status quo and you're doing nothing for the kingdom. But if you use the wealth that God gives you to bless others, to help others, to, to advance the causes of the kingdom, then wealth becomes something that you can use to bring the kingdom of God into manifestation. But not only that, wealth becomes a means to provide and, and to access rewards when you go into the next life. Because God doesn't reward you on how much money you have. He rewards you on what you've done with what he's given you. I'm making sense to you. So there's nothing evil about wealth. It's the love of money that you got to be concerned of, not wealth. My point is, I don't want to get off on a tangent. My point is to let you know that God does want to prosper his people. I tithe not just because I love God, I do, and because it honors God, which I do, but also the promise is that he will give me back in return. Now, if he didn't have that promise in there, I'd be fine. I would tithe anyway just because he said to do it. But he also included the promise, and I've learned how to say, God, you promised it, and I don't think it's wrong for me to claim the promise that you've given to me. Are you learning something this morning? 
So he prospers us in so many different ways. I want to be. I want to prosper uh, physically. I want to prosper financially. I also want to prosper my soul to prosper. Right. So many of us live, you know, just plagued by discouragement, depression, fears, uh, uh, you know, bitterness, unforgiveness, uh, concerns, anxieties, all these kind of things. The Lord wants you free of that. Well, I didn't know I could walk free of that. That's my whole point. If you don't know what God wants for you, how can you begin to believe God for it to manifest in your life? Now, we all struggle in different areas with different things, but you've got to learn how to overcome the things that God uh, 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 has given you the ability to overcome. It might be harder for you, some people than it is for other people in certain areas, but God wants us all to get to the same place, which is freedom. Right? you got to learn how to res- uh, submit yourself to God. How do I experience God's freedom? Submit yourself to God. His will, His way, His purposes, and live underneath His direction, His instructions, His commandments. You say, well, I submit myself to God, but I don't do what He says. That's not submitting. Submitting is learning the will of God and then saying that will of God is supposed to be manifest in my life and I'm going to do whatever it takes to come under the will of God for my life. Submit yourself to God, walking it out and then resisting the devil. See, we think it's ABC, you know, one, two, three. It is, but we don't always realize that there's sometimes a time gap in between A and B, and a gap in between B and C, right? So you do these things, but nothing's happened. So what do you keep doing? You keep doing it. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. Resist discouragement. Resist envy. Resist bitterness. Resist sickness. Resist disease. Resist the evil reports. Resist fear. How long do I got to resist? As long as it takes. What do I resist with? The Word of God. Too many of us, we accept what the enemy speaks to us and what the enemy wants to put upon us. We just accept it. Oh, your, your, uh, you know, your mother-in-law or your, your mother, you know, she had Alzheimer's and her mother had Alzheimer's. Well, let's not use that. I don't like, I don't like that. Let's use another one. Oh, so-and-so had blood pressure and they had blood pressure. And now you're going to have blood pressure problems. We all have blood pressure. It's problems that we don't want to have. <laughs> they had problems and you're going to have the blood pressure problem. Well, yeah, it's a given. It's just it's part of my family line. It's what the doctor says. Yeah, it's going that way. Is that what you want to accept that? No. You want your kids to struggle with it? No. So what do I do? Fight. What do I fight with? The Word of God. I desire above all else that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prosper. That's the will of God for my life. What do I use? What do I use to fight with it? The Word of God. He's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer. He he carried my sicknesses. He bore my pains. It's by His stripes I am healed. To the one who fears his name, the son of righteousness arises with healing in his wings. And I will go forth like a calf, uh, leaping from its stalls. You begin to quote the word of God. You begin to fight. How long? Until you see a change. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. And then he will flee from you. See, but here's the problem. And I say this all the time, and some of you are new. We often think it's a one-punch knockout fight. It doesn't work that way sometimes. 
I like it when it does. But sometimes it's just, if we can be honest, it's a flat-out brawl. I hit with the Word of God. The enemy comes back with symptoms. I hit with the Word of God. He comes back with fear. I hit with the Word of God. He comes back with something going wrong in my life. And so what do we do? Well, I'm going to stop fighting because every time I fight, it seems like people will say this all the time. I hear it all the time. I'm not going to testify because every time I testify, man, I, I, something bad goes wrong in my life. Well, you know what that is. That's a fight and that's a rebound. That's a fight and that's a hit. So what do you do? Well, I quit. Let the enemy win? No, you keep on fighting. Until when? Until he flees from you. It is the promise of God. He will flee. God wants you to have an abundant, overcoming, victorious Christian life. He doesn't just want you to exist. He wants you to reveal the glory of God. Arise, shine, for the light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. I am believing God. I know we've had a couple of people this week going through some stuff, and uh, uh, I'm believing God with you. I'm believing God for miracles, signs, wonders, healings, deliverances. I'm believing God. I'm really being driven to believe God for that because God wants His people healthy and whole. God wants His people prospering in the inner self, in the outer self, every dimension of your life. He wants His people to experience the goodness of God in every dimension of their life. And we've got to contend for that. I want to see Cecile made well. I want to see Pilar whole. I want to see Elizabeth Strickland's eye healed. I want to see uh, Linda's ears open. I want to see uh, 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 Lacey's back completely made well. I want to see my back completely made well. I want to see my wife walking without having to work about teetering this way or that I want to see God's will manifest in our life and I'm going to contend and I want you to contend you to contend with me until we see the manifestation of his good promises well I'm just happy that I got delivered from Egypt well I'm happy too but he's not stopping there he wants you to follow him into the promised land that we might live the overcoming victorious Christian life. Amen? So, we say oftentimes that that abundant life is a promise that is relegated to heaven. It's not for the here and now. What a far cry from what I believe the Lord is wanting for His church. Anyway, getting back to our text, I said I wasn't going to do that, but I, I did preach a little bit. Both descendants of the house of Joseph those who believe in the salvation and those who believe in victory move in to take back the house of God, which is under the influence of the enemy. And that brings us to number three. And this is where we touched on a little bit last week. So I'll see if I can't move through this a little more quickly. But partnering with the enemy, Judges 1, 24 through 25, the spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, please show us the way into the city, and we'll deal kindly with you. And he showed them the way into the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man and all his family go. You cannot use the enemy's ways and expect to expel the enemy from your land. Some may think that the enemy and his ways is simply we relegated to witchcraft, sorcery, and the like. Well, that's true, but let's see if we can broaden that picture a little bit. What if we equated the enemy's ways with worldliness? 1 John 2, 15 through 17, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So what I'm saying is that as a church, if we're submitting ourselves to God, we should become more a reflection of God than the world which he delivered us out of. Right? So much of the church today is trying to compromise with the world. And God didn't call us to compromise with the world. He called us to change the world. But you can't change a world that doesn't need a change if we're the same as they are. Well, we get more people in if we just, we just don't call some of the things that we used to call sin. If we don't call it sin anymore, we'll get more people to come to church. Well, you might get a bigger church, but you're not going to have the power of God working in the church. The very power that sets people free, you're no longer going to manifest. Because you can't use the enemy's ways and expect to experience the victory and the power of God working in your life. John 17, 14 through 17. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And please don't misunderstand me. Nobody in here is wearing a bun and no pants and no makeup. So don't say, well, what kind of church did I come into? You came into just a regular church. We're not talking about the outward, exterior things. We're talking about people, right? We, we're, we're, ta- we're not talking about legalism. We're not talking about the old-fashioned way of looking like you're different. No, we're talking about the church, regular people, but we don't act like the world. Right? Jesus said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. You see, the old mentality that I grew up in is uh, get people saved and get them out of the world. No, you don't want to get them out of the world because God doesn't want to get them out of the world. How are you going to save people if you don't keep them in the world? Right? What he doesn't want is worldliness to be a part of them. But he doesn't want them out of the world. Right? I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is true. In another place he says, as you sent me into the world, I send them into the world. Based on these verses, we can justify defining the enemy's ways as being equated with worldliness. So with that understanding in mind, we can then go on to say that we cannot partner with the ways of the world in order to truly set people free from the grips of the world and the ruler of this world. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And the last point we're going to look at, and I'm almost done, is the enemy influence continues. And the man went to the land of the Hittites and built the city and called its name Luz, and that is his name to this day. So when they found this man to partner with, And they made an agreement with him that if they'll show them how to take the city, they would let him go. He just went and built the same city somewhere else. Right? I was talking with with Marty about that. We mentioned it a little bit last week. Just kind of refresh your mind. You know, sometimes people, uh, we, 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 we have, like Marty was talking about, sometimes we have problems we with our weight and stuff. Some people have problems with their weight 
uh, uh, just because, you know, they, they just like to eat. You know, they enjoy food and whatever, and we eat the wrong things. And that's other people have problems with the weight because of their root is different. They're, they deal with stress that way. They find comfort that way. They, they, they deal with their fears and anxieties in that way. And so, and so what happens is uh, because that's how they, they, instead of getting comfort from God and instead of learning how to, how to, how to process through their stuff, they, they find it in food. That was me. That was me. All right? Then what happens is when they say, well, I'm not going to, this is bad for my health, and they say, I'm, I'm going to lose weight, I'm not going to do this, and, they, and, and, and so they, 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 they end up losing weight. But if, they, if they're not careful, they'll just, once they lose the weight, they're going to go back because they didn't deal with the root, and they're going to do the same thing again. Now, I bring that up, but what I talked about last week is people oftentimes that smoke, don't really have a problem, not all people, but a lot of them don't have problems with being overweight because if they're smoking to deal with their problems, they don't run to food to deal with their problems. Right? So then what happens when they stop smoking? They find other things to deal with their root problems, and many times it's going to be eating or something else. So you'll see a lot of times somebody that stops smoking, that they're in good, awesome, stop smoking, but then they gain like 30, 40 pounds. Because they didn't deal with the root. And that same root just went and built a city somewhere else. Right? The enemy wasn't dealt with in this particular situation. He just moved. So the goal is not simply to take the city. The goal is to transform the land. Now bringing it to today. We have many big churches with lots of people, but their influence in the land is minimal, minimal if not non-existent. Could it be that the gospel we're proclaiming has become void of holiness, has become void of power? We have lots of people coming to church, but instead of learning to walk out of worldliness, we have permitted the church to, remain, to continue living in worldliness and have even found ways to legitimize it in the church. That is not God's will. We are to be sought. Bible says, you are the, Matthew 5, 13, the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Salt is not only to provide flavor. At this particular time, salt was a preservative. Preserving the culture to become, uh, from becoming what the enemy desires. We can't do that if we no longer have the potential to change the environment that we're in. We're to be light. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your lights shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I believe uh, with the understanding that we are a full gospel church, the works that we do are not only supposed to be the works like feeding the, the poor and, and giving uh, clothing to those who are in need. Those are good things, and we need to be doing that. But I also believe it's doing the works of God but empowered by the Spirit of God to set at liberty the captives. Well, I can't do that. That's right. But the Spirit of God and the Lord who is in you can Isaiah 61 and 2, God says to the, and this is a prophecy through Isaiah that we should see manifesting in our lives and in the church, arise and shine. Yeah. 
It doesn't say arise and reflect. It says arise. You think that's funny? It is funny. <laughs> For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon pastor. Well, it has, but not just me. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you, and he's talking about us as the church. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people. But the Lord will arise upon you, his people, and his glory will be seen upon you, his people. We're to be the light wherever God sends us. If he doesn't send us into the world, and we don't believe he sends us into the world, then are we surprised that the world is in so much darkness? Is that the will of God? No. What is the will of God? That the lights would go into the darkness. God didn't, when I got saved, God didn't take me out of my family, out of my home. I was still living at home, still living with my mom and dad. He kept me in my home. Now, everything inside of me probably wanted to get out of the home, but that's not where I went. I went back home. And because I went back into my home, I've told you over and over again what the Lord has done through me, not, be, not trying to anyway. This is just my testimony. My brothers got saved. My mother got saved. My dad got saved. My uncles, my aunts got saved. Our relatives got saved. My friends got saved. Their friends got saved. My brother's friends got saved. Their friends got saved. Why? Because the light went back into the darkness. We want to say, get me out of this place. And God says, I don't, I don't want to get you out of the place. I'm trying to get you into the place. Why? Because we're to make disciples of all nations. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. The implication here is go, therefore, in my authority, in my name, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. What nations? the nations that you're in, the nations that you're going to. We could say it this way too. Go into BASF and make disciples of BASF. Go into the school and make disciples in the school. Go into the place of your job and make disciples in that place. Go into the community and make disciples in that place. Go into your home and make disciples in that place. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We are to bring the kingdom of God into manifestation is here. Pray then like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is within you. Right? Oh, Lord, I'm just so glad to be saved. I'm so glad I'm just going to wait until you take me to heaven. No. You want to come out of Egypt, but God's purpose is to bring you into the fullness of all that he's intended for your life. Right? We've got to learn how to take back what is in the enemy hands. We've got to learn how to take back the house of God and the people of God so that it becomes a pure reflection of who he is and what he wants for his people. And I'm done. He said, well, you said that. 15 minutes ago. I'm really done this time. The church has mistakenly measured its success by the wrong things. Size, money, buildings, etc. These are not the right measuring sticks. The measure of the church's accomplishment is its success in transforming lives, communities, and nations. The church today stands symbolically where the children of Israel stood when they were on the edge of the promised land. And like Israel, we've been here before. 
Moses had declared, let my people go. And eventually the nation of Israel left Egypt and the wealth of the nation. They were delivered from their captivity. Their deliverance from slavery symbolized deliverance from the kingdom of darkness and becoming born again. Everything was great until God gave them their next assignment. When they came to the promised uh, land, to the border of the Jordan River, God told them to cross and take the land he had promised to their father Abraham. They replied, we like the last assignment better when you fed us and led us and all we had to do was exist. Unfortunately, God did not convince them to do what they did not want to do and so he waited for a generation who was willing to take back the land he had given to their forefathers. But I'm telling you, God will go with you and he has an abundant uh, uh, assignment. He has abundance in store for you if you will follow his lead, but it will require that you get a different mentality and it will require that you understand who it is that lives inside of you and that with God I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and it will require a generation of people who are not afraid to fight. We don't fight people. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We don't fight people, but we fight the enemy who keeps the people enslaved. In the same way, God has been waiting for a generation of believers who understand their mission and choose to fulfill it. What was that show where they said, if you choose to accept it, mission impossible. Unlike the house of Joseph, as we do so, we must do things his way and not the world's way. If we partner with the world, we continue to enable the enemy's sway. We must learn to partner with God and following his word, bring his ways into the world where we live. Only then can we truly bring his kingdom here. Let thy kingdom come. Let thy will be done. Here, in my life, in my church, in my city, in my county, in my state, in my nation, on earth as it is in heaven. Mm -hmm.